0: So we finally watched The Owl House, the Disney Channel animated series on Disney Plus, and I may be in love. I may be in love. I have not seen a series that made me this happy and just obscenely, completely, totally joyous in I don't know how long. And I would like to talk with you about it on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? My name is Charlie. You might know you better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, or that person on YouTube who just does a lot of live streams. Hi. So, over the last couple of days, we watched, and watched really isn't the right term, we binged, we consumed, we devoured The Owl House, the show on Disney+. Plus, and I have to say, I am absolutely 100% completely enthralled and in love with this setting, and I want to start my review on the worst part of it, and that is that Disney has completely and utterly failed me. They have completely and utterly failed me, at least as far as I can find out. There are few to no toys available. There are not. There's... (sighs) hmm. there's some shirts that i was able to find so yay there's you can get the head of the staff but you can't even get like the full staff which just seems like an odd thing and there are no official demon king plushies and that's just disney leaving money on the table because i definitely would have bought a Demon King plushie if I would have looked and seen that they were available and at a reasonable price. Which as we know, Disney toys are not always at a reasonable price, but you know, you know, with birthday and Christmas and everything, you know, I could I could be persuaded to be a little bit unreasonable because Demon King is awesome. And I really feel that Disney has failed in this because when I was a kid, at least, everything that Disney did was accompanied by a barrage of toys. And oh my goodness, if this show is not eminently, like, toyable. Like, I want abomination plushies. I need an abomination plushie. I really do. I, I, I would love to have that weird evil plant thing <laughs> plushie. A plushie of that, that that, that Willow does. I would definitely, but okay. Okay, that aside, I think you can tell that I liked the show. If you are not familiar with it, The Owl House is a portal fantasy series in which Luz, our main character, is basically being sent to a reform summer camp so that she can learn to fit in because she's just a little bit too out there for the world and so her mother, wanting the best for her, is sending her to a weird summer camp camp. Luz sees an owl doing some very odd things, follows it into a weird cabin with glowing door with a glowing door, and ends up in the demon world in the boiling isles, which is a land made from the body of a titan. More on that later. There she encounters Eda, the Owl Lady, and de- the Demon King, who is the cutest little fuzzy buddy just went up in his belly. And proceeds to start learning magic. She basically tells her mother that she's arrived at camp and is, you know, doing magic things instead of actually going to camp. It's a good show. It's a cute show. It's a show that I think kids would really enjoy. It's a show that I really enjoyed. It does a very good job of walking the fine line between horror and comedy really, really, really well. It has that kind of gross out humor that I loved as a kid and still as an adult kind of have a soft spot in my heart for. I do like that it's not gross-out humor. It's just bizarre humor. It's, it's funny. It works. The characters are interesting. The messages in the show are actually quite uplifting and good, especially for a Disney Channel show. And all in all, I love it. Our main character, Luz, is a very interesting character to write a show from her perspective. She is played by Sarah Nicole Robles, who does a very good job. I like the voice work. I like the way that they're playing her. And she, in and of herself, is a very interesting character and really is, as she should be, the heart of the show. Basically, the whole premise that this show is based off of is that weirdos need to stick together and since that was kind of the theme of my entire school life and most of my adult life if i'm to be honest i resonate with it quite strongly and i think a lot of kids would too and that's where this show is really interesting lois doesn't fit in in the human world because she's too imaginative and this is what her mom is basically sending her to camp to get rid of. She's sending her to a camp specifically to have her imagination dulled so she can learn to be a proper adult. And while I would normally have problems with a premise like that, I think that it it hits a little too close to home because I know all of my life and for the life of many of the people that I've I'm friends with we have been told that we are unrealistic that we're too weird, we're too quirky, we're too strange we're too bizarre and that we need to just conform this is a major theme of the story in fact the prison in the Boiling Isles is actually is literally referred to as the conformatorium yeah that's a thing and it it functions as such. All of the villains, with a very few exceptions, wear identical clothing, which normally would be a crutch for the animators because then they only have to they don't have to design all those different characters. They just have one template that they make big, small, skinny, thin what what have you. But in this story, Kind of like it does in Star Wars as well, it feeds into the narrative of the story that the villains are all about conformity and that we should not be conforming. In fact, Ida is quite clearly co-opting a lot of anarchist rhetoric in her behavior, which surprised me for a Disney Channel show to have done. She even, at a couple points makes some sour statements about capitalism, which is uh, interesting to hear coming from a show produced by the mouse. But all of the issues that Luz is having, all of the things that she is going through are not only relatable as for someone who is a child or somebody who is younger, but they are issues of trying to figure out who you are. Essentially Luz is trying to find her voice. This is something that I, as a creative, have experienced on numerous occasions, kind of feel like I'm going through a renaissance of now, and something I think most creatives could have a connection to. In some ways, Luz felt to me like the creative spark that I have within me, and Ida very much being that quixotic muse who shows up from time to time to either cause chaos, save the day, or maybe teach a lesson or have a lesson taught around her that then matters to our protagonist. Luz could have been an empty vessel. She could have been a shell character, and in fact, in most stories of this type, from Harry Potter on down, the character who ends up going through the portal into the portal world is usually just an an, an audience surrogate and not really a character in their own right, but we see Luz actually having Issues, her missing her mother, feeling bad for lying to her mother. We see her dawning relationship, which I will be talking about a little bit later when I go into full board spoilers. It all makes her much more rounded than I would expect a protagonist to be in a show like this. Not just because it's a kids' show, but because it's portal fiction. Usually, in, like I said, in portal fiction, the character who goes through the portal is merely a cipher for the audience, a stand-in for the audience, so that we have a window through which to talk about and often judge the world that we're that we are experiencing. Luz has the reactions that I do, and I rather enjoy that. I love the monsters. I love the weirdness of it. I love her reaction to how bizarre the world is. But the fact that they gave her an honest-to-God character is refreshing, and I love it. The Owl Lady is played remarkably well by Wendy Malick, and she does such a brilliant, beautiful, and wonderful job with this character that, frankly, it, it, it is simultaneously the kind of character that I can't imagine anyone other than Wendy Malick playing, and at the same time, it is so divergent from the roles that I expect Wendy Malick to play that it it feels refreshing. Ida is an interesting, complex soul in that she... I don't know if I... Actually, okay, I'm going to do it now. We're going to go into spoilers now because most of the stuff that I want to talk about with Ida, I don't think we can talk about without giving potential spoilers for the season so if you've not watched the owl house it's up on disney plus right now all 19 episodes of the first season it has already been greenlit for a second season definitely go watch it and come back and we can talk in more detail all right you have been warned spoilers are incoming in five four three two one Eda's curse is one of the most interesting things about her character, and it's something that we're going to talk about a little bit later, especially when we talk about her relationship with her sister, Lilith. But Ida's curse makes for an interesting dilemma introduced into the story. While it is not odd or unusual for a character in a setting like this to be cursed and to be dealing with some kind of, especially a transformative curse like this, the way that they've handled it here is really interesting. One, at least for the beginning of the season, it is treated more like a chronic disease. In some ways, I feel like this is a much better use of the chronic disease idea for a um, form of therianthropy than what we saw in say the Harry Potter films, the Harry Potter books, or even in shows like the uh, Vampire Diaries and its descendant media. It's an interesting way to play it off. It's something that as long as she takes her medication, she can generally keep it in check. But as it's growing stronger, the medicine isn't working as well as it used to, as well as it should. And that makes for an interesting conflict. One, they have to keep her medicated and the episode in which they find out that she is taking the elixir and learn about the uh, curse is an interesting one and a fascinating one and plays into this whole idea that the demons aren't quite as scary as they make themselves out to be, or even as they themselves think they are. The demon that we're introduced to in this episode is described to us as the most fearsome monster in the world we we later learn that they're kind of a cuddly puff in a turtle shell and that Ida is the real monster in the story and that again plays off of a lot of the things that this story really wants to get home Ida is the embodiment of free will she is that free spirit that bohemian mistress queen that we see in quite a few stories throughout the years. The difference between Ida and a lot of this archetype, archetypal character is that she knows that she has limitations. She knows what her flaws are, and she knows what she can and cannot do. But that doesn't mean that she's going to let it hold her back. She sees restrictions as something to be pushed up against, not something to be accepted and bowed to. There's a certain power in her that we don't see in a lot of other characters of her type, namely in that she isn't just chaos for chaos' sake. She's not just whimsy for whimsy's sake. There very often is a method to her madness, and not just one that it's a simple plot convenience she tends to know what she's doing unless she's actually given in to her lesser nature at which point that is often pointed out and she learns as a result of that action that's something that usually does not happen with this type of character I feel like before I go on, I just need to do an honorable mention for Gus and the Demon King. I love both of these characters a lot, but because of the length I like to keep these episodes to, I don't really have time to go into them as much as I want to. They're awesome characters, and the show would not be the same without them. But to me, the most interesting relationship in the series is actually not between well, our leads. It's a side relationship, and that's the story of Willow and Amity. They had the potential of being a very cliche story, and while I do think that they play into a lot of the archetypes and stereotypes of this type of relationship, it really could have gone in such a different way. So Amity, when we meet her, she's pretty much your archetypal queen bee character. She runs with the cool kids. She is the coolest of the cool kids. Amity Blight basically says what's cool. She defines what's cool. And she is introduced as Willow's bully. In fact, the very first scene we have of these two characters is Willow having an anxiety attack and Amity bullying her about it it's a very harsh way to introduce a character and it's one that when you realize that they've put this character on an arc of redemption you start worrying about how they're going to accomplish this and honestly i don't want to go into too much detail about how much how how i feel about well, my family made threats about Willow and they're the kinds of people that would carry those threats out. And so I'm being a jerk just to save Willow. Excuse that we get later in the series for why Amity and Willow behave the way they do towards each other. That's not as important to me as... The actual dynamics that we see between them, we see Willow regretting her lost relationship and questioning a lot about herself because she no longer has this friendship. Because this friendship mysteriously ended, it feeds into all of her sense of self-doubt. Amity, on the other hand, really has a lot of confidence issues. And we realize this very early on that she is acting not from a sense of overconfidence or grandiosity, but from a place of absolute fear that she will be found to be a fraud. In fact, in the first episode with Amity, we figure this find this out really early on when she's trying to expose Willow as a fraud. Because what will my parents say if I don't have the star? you see this fear that she's acting out of. It's not her own ambition. It's not her own drive. It's this fear of judgment that motivates everything that she does and everything that she is. That is a powerful motivation and one that really shapes this character and the way that she interacts with everyone around her. When we actually get to go into Willow's memories, because Amity <clears throat> destroyed them and then feels guilty about it Long story hopefully you've seen the episode it is such a powerful moment because she wants to help you can see her sincerely wanting to help what holds her back is again her own shame her own fear of judgment she's realized that she likes loose she misses her relationship with willow and she fears how Luz will react when she finds out the truth. In fact, she fears what Willow will do when she finds out the truth. And that is a powerful, wonderful moment to see that once the memories were taken away, all that Willow was left with was rage. Oh, I can feel that so strongly because I've had those relationships where Something happened and it destroyed all the good memories that I had with that person. And all that was left was the blind rage. We'll see how their relationship builds up in future. We've seen her come to Willow's aid on a couple different times since that's happened. And it really looks like they're going to make Amity have to go through a path of atonement. And I'm looking forward to that because usually, especially in a show like this, everything is forgiven and then we move on or we revert back to our status quo because it's easier to go from that point. It does look like we're actually going to see some kind of reconciliation atonement between these two characters. And that is powerful. And I just can't wait to see it. The relationship between Luz and Amity is why I started watching the show. It's 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 honestly why I started watching the show. Somebody sent me a clip of this series that was Luz in a tuxedo top and a tutu dancing with Amity to defeat a monster. And it was one of the most amazing like gender queer lesbian romance scenes that i had ever seen especially in a children's show and i do think that this is more of a teen show than it is a kids show but that's a matter of debate and not really important but probably why there aren't a lot of toys and a lot more t-shirts and other merch like that around this series and i literally decided to watch the show just to find out okay how do we get to there (laughs) what happens that gets us to this wonderful wonderful scene this sequence that just blew my mind when i saw it and i have to say i was not disappointed by the journey the relationship that is developing between lewis and amity is one built on a relationship We actually see them developing both their friendship and their feelings for one another. We see the awkwardness that starts creeping in as they start realizing how they feel around each other. And it is subtle, and it is sweet, and it is darling, and I am living for it. Because, again, it's not insta-love. None of the characters woke up one morning and thought, I love that person, or, oh, I have to go to the prom, I need to pick a person to be in love with. Not calling out anybody over a Yule Ball, but you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody really cares about the uh, the opposite or their own gender until a celebration of cisgendered conformity star- starts up, and then, yeah. Okay, anyway. Enough harping on the Yule Ball. <sighs> but it works. It works really really well and to see it play out in a way that it's not preachy it's not pushed forward it's not anything other than the cuteness you would expect of these two girls realizing that they are starting to have feelings for each other especially Amity having feelings for Luz it is a powerful thing and to see Luz in her little gender career like oh my goodness that tuxedo and tutu outfit was everything. And I'm really curious to see where they're going with this, just because I'm so used to living in a world where we end up with something like what happened at the end of Korra, where, okay, they kind of held hands as they walk into the light. And that's how we get the canon answer of, yeah, they're together. Well, halfway through season one, we have this amazing dance where we realized that it was Amity's intention and greatest fear to that she would invite Luz to Grom and Luz would say no. This was her greatest fear. That was both so touching and so powerful and really worked within everything that they were trying to establish for the setting and the story. It, it showed the relationship growing, and it 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 worked. It fit. It wasn't something that was tacked on or added at the last moment, and that's a beautiful thing. Just because romances in teen fiction are not anything new, they happen all the time. But even in something like my beloved Steven Universe, why is he into her again? Right? Like, what? Where did their relationship come from again? Is it because she's the only other human character in the story? Because it really feels like that. I mean, she's not, we have Sadie and the rest, but his relationship just, uh, I I don't want to go into it too much. It just, it does kind of pop out of nowhere. And the other relationships are so firmly established that with the exception of, uh, no, 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 not going there. This is not about Steven Universe. This is about the Owl House. There are so many ways that this could have not worked, just because the prominence of insta-love and them just throwing characters together because, you know, we need to have a romance subplot, that's usually how the genre works, and it was nice to see this slow boil, this slow bake, where you're like, oh, 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 you can see it, you can see it starting to happen, and it was beautiful, and I loved it, it was, it was, it was really well done. But at the heart of this show, and I do really mean at the heart of this show, is the relationship between Ida and Lilith. And it is a very interesting story of sibling rivalry. Now remember, I'm just going to restate for the record that I give you a spoiler alert because I am literally going to spoil the last episode of the first season Now. the fact that it was Lilith that cursed Ida because she was wanted into the Emperor's Coven so badly that she was trying to sap her sister's magic and she knew that because the Emperor taught that nothing great occurs without sacrifice that she had to sacrifice her own sister to join the Coven oh my goodness and that everything that happened after that that we got to witness was her desperately trying to get ida into the coven because the emperor promised to heal her sister because she felt regret she felt sorrow she felt sorry for her own actions that relationship smacked so real Because you could hear the concern in Lilith's voice even before you knew why. And early on, it was easy to write it off and think that, oh, this is just her afraid of what's going to happen if her sister actually gets arrested, if her sister actually goes to prison, if her sister gets sent to the conformatorium, what's going to happen? You see her trying to trick her sister into becoming... A member of the coven by having the brand forced on her and all of that makes sense and the payoff at the end where she shares in her sister's curse was powerful and moved and so moving and I can't wait to see where they go in season 2 1 I think that they are building to a reveal as to who the emperor is if they follow the tropes that have been set up, the Emperor will turn out to be their father or grandfather. I doubt that that's what's going to happen. I, I think that that's going to be something else. I also think that we're going to learn that the Titan isn't as dead as everyone thinks he is. After all, we have seen the Titan's heart still beating. So... The idea that the Emperor actually speaks to the Titan, that might actually be more of a thing than we have been allowed to see so far. All that said and done, this series really made me happy and is one I'm probably going to be binge-watching over and over and over and over and over again just for the sheer joy of the series and just the creepiness of everything within it. If you have not watched The Owl House, definitely go watch it. If there's any particular episode you would like me to do a call out and like a deep dive into or any character you'd like me to talk about more or just anything that you'd like me to talk about more down in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Please keep it short. Keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. In fact, I feel like the show is better when I get to answer your questions. (laughs) So that way I know that you are interested in the topics that I am talking about. Alrighty, if you have a dollar you can pass my way down in the show notes, you'll find a link to listener support, coffee, and my Patreon. Anything that you can do to support what I'm doing right now it would be greatly appreciated. Kind of going through some hard times right now, and it would be nice to be able to uh, pay all my bills, but no pressure. Honestly, no pressure. I'll, I'll be fine. I, I will be fine. And if you don't have any money right now, don't, please, please. Don't give anything that you can't afford to do. And please do not feel any pressure. Maybe share what I'm doing. That helps out more than you know. I can't afford to do advertising anymore. So, you know, helping to get the word out about what I am doing really does help out more than you could possibly know. Alrighty. I'm also doing a bunch of stuff. You can find links to everything that I'm doing over at projectshadow.com. If, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you all so much for listening, and as always, remember, black lives matter, black trans lives matter, trans identities are valid. And may until next time, may you have the courage to ride your dreams into reality, and don't forget to have the fun. Bye.